All right. Very good. Um, all right. So today we're going to bring together, ooh, we're going to bring together, I don't want to do that. We're going to bring together Labor Day and um, our worship in uh, talking about this reality that you can worship God on the job. You certainly can. That's actually a possibility, and we will see that today as we go through this message. Um, interesting article that I ran across, um, Six Ways People Find Meaning in their work. The uh, American essayist, historian, and philosopher Henry David Thoreau wrote, It's not enough to be industrious, so are the ants. The British science magazine New Scientist recently put out an issue on the psychology and future of work. One of the articles, I work, therefore I am, cited Brent Rosso, PhD assistant professor of management at Montana State University. He penned six unique attributes that help people find meaning in their jobs. Rosso mined hundreds of academic surveys to come up with the list. He believes almost any job can have at least one of these attributes. So the first one is authenticity. Going to work makes you feel you are assessing your true self. Maybe that you are following a calling or you can be yourself. Then there's agency. You are able to make a significant you're able to make significant decisions and feel as if you make a difference. This taps into, your desi- into our desire to believe that we have a free will. Then there's self-worth. Your job makes you feel valuable. You are able to see milestones of achievement no matter how small. Then there is purpose. You see your work as moving you closer to a strongly held goal. The downside is that you are more likely to sacrifice pay and personal time too. And then there's belonging. It's not what you do, it's who you do it with. You belong to a special group of colleagues, even if your job seems mundane or poorly rewarded. And then finally, transcendence. Your job is about sacrifice for a greater cause. Your meaning comes from following this or perhaps a truly inspirational boss. So, All of these are noble things. I was just looking at that list thinking those are all really noble reasons to find meaning in our work. But I got to thinking, what about you and I as believers in Christ? What if we found an even nobler reason for our work? And what if that reason was not our relationship with Christ? What if Christ was not the meaning, the motivation, the source, the joy of our work. Did you catch the title of the article? I just read those, those six things come from an article. And the title of the article is this, I work, therefore I am. Do you get the problematic nature of that title? The article shows us the, the worldly philosophy to work. Think about this. I work, therefore I am. In other words, I am defined by my work. I'm defined by what I do. But there is a godly and a biblical philosophy. We're going to see it today. It's this, I am, therefore I work. And I want you to think about what that means, and I'll explain it this way. There are three vantage points I can give you this morning, three vantage points to work. Number one, work as a blessing. I don't think we instinctively see work as a blessing. We need to see work as a blessing. We need to understand that we were created to work. We were initially created to work. Work is a part of God's DNA. In fact, think about this. What is the very first picture we have of God? He is a worker. 
First thing we see God doing, he's working. He's creating. That's, that's in his DNA. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see him creating. The reality is, you and I were created in God's image. So God creates in the beginning, and then God creates us, and he puts us to work. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image with his DNA. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And chapter 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And I want you to understand that work's a blessing. Originally, work was this huge blessing in our life that brought us purpose and meaning and fulfillment and joy. That's the reality. But then we go to chapter 3 in Genesis, and we all know the story, right? That in Genesis chapter 3, that God, well, God created man. He had this perfect relationship with man, but he said, hey, I'll give you an out. You know, if you want to opt out of this relationship, if you, if you don't want to be in a relationship with me, I'm not going to force you. And he put this tree in the Garden of Eden, remember? And Adam and Eve opted out of that relationship. They chose that tree. They sinned. And the, the moment they sinned, they're like, oops, that was a mistake. That was the wrong thing. We should not have done that. But then we see that work, the second vantage point, is work as a curse. And then we know that because of sin, God comes to, to Eve as a woman and says, you know what, now your childbearing is going to be cursed it's going to be work it's going to be labor it's going to be painful and hard and sorrowful now not the children mind you the children are still a blessing it's the bearing of the children that's going to be painful and hard and sorrowful and he comes to adam and says adam your work now you're going to work to provide for your families but when you work it'll be well be hard it'll be demanding it'll be exhausting you'll work by the sweat of your brow work as a curse that's the reality and so we see kind of the difference work is a blessing it's it's in the dna of god it was built into us but now work is a curse because we rejected god but there's a third vantage point we have to see this this morning it's the third vantage point we see it throughout the new testament but we'll see it in this passage in particular ephesians 2 8 9 and 10 verse we all know pretty well probably for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works that so that no one may boast so there's our salvation and then verse 10 is the after effects of our salvation for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we have a, this huge advantage for us as believers when we come to Christ is that we are redeemed, right? We're redeemed and we're in relationship with God. You know what else God does? God redeems our work. And the work that initially was supposed to bring us meaning and joy and fulfillment and purpose, once again, it can do just that so what we have here this third vantage point is work as a blessing in a cursed world yeah we live in broken bodies we live in a world that is cursed we, we live in we, we, we don't escape some of that curse and some of that pain but even working by the sweat of our brow giving children uh, really in great sorrow and pain even then there is a blessing in our work there is a blessing uh, like there was initially do you, do you kind of see the flow of things here that's kind of the sense of understanding the flow of things and how things work see initially we were created 
to work. In fact, think about this. Okay, how, how is God's work defined? Remember when we see God, first thing we see Him as a creator? And His work is defined how? Every day He looks back at His work and He said His work was what? Good. So God, initially in His DNA, does good works and created us to do what? Good works. That just naturally would flow out of who we are. And then we sinned and there's this curse, but when we're saved, our work is redeemed and we can do what? Ephesians 2.10 says, we're, we're created to do good works that will just naturally flow out of who we are. So while the rest of the world, think about this, works to find an identity, we work from our identity and for the glory of God, which takes us to our big idea this morning takes us to our big idea this morning. Don't find your identity in your job. Work out of your identity on the job. Worship while you work. And if you know anybody that is struggling in their job, I'll tell you the message today. These, you can get these online. You can share these. You know somebody that's really struggling with their job, direct them to this message and they'll be really encouraged. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians today. And if you know the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3 is full of rich doctrine about all of our spiritual blessings in Christ. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk to us about how to live out of those blessings in our life. We're going to be there today in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a specific passage that talks about the relationship between a slave and a master, and we can apply it to the relationship between the employer and the employee or the worker and his boss. And as we have talked about lifestyle worship in this series today, we're going to take that lifestyle worship and we're going to go to work with it. Now, this Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 is our key text. The great parallel passage we'll refer to as well is Colossians 3, 22 through 25. Let's read our passage here. Ephesians 6, 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And then the last verse kind of flips it around to the boss. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now, let me just say one thing up front here, a little bit of commentary, personal commentary. These passages do not in any way condone or endorse slavery. People read this and think, oh, why isn't Paul calling out slavery? He's, he's talking, he's kind of like talking around it. Um, here's the, here's the, the thing about this, just to understand. What Paul is doing here when he doesn't specifically call out slavery is Paul is, is dealing with the gospel and saying the gospel transcends the issue of slavery. The gospel is more important, living out the gospel. Even if you're in an, in an unjust relationship, you know, you, you're a slave and you've got a master even back in that day. He says the gospel transcends that. You can live out the gospel in that relationship. And, and this happens throughout Scripture in different areas and in different uh, relationships. The gospel transcends some of the unfair relationships we might find ourselves in. So this is not condoning slavery, but the application for you and I today is real simple. It's the relationship between the boss and the employee, which was in some senses kind of the relationship that existed back in this day. Slavery was not always as we might understand it today as well. So... 
Again, the big idea is don't find your identity in your job. Work out of your identity on the job. Worship while you work. So how can we worship while we work? Well, three things we'll see today. The, the, the second point really is the, the bulk of this message. But here they are. Number one is you serve on the job. You can serve from the heart. Just know that. As bondservants of Christ, Paul says, doing the will of God from the heart. And this is really, just really important because there is this misconception that continually floats out there i see it every now and then i see or i hear i hear some oh there's some pastor in a message bringing up i'm like you know you don't get it okay we are new creations in christ and because we are new creations in christ we have new hearts that have god's desires and so this notion there's, there's this old testament verse that says your heart is wicked and evil and deceitful and untrustworthy well today we don't have hearts like that because we're new creations, God has given us new hearts, we can trust our heart. You can read through the New Testament, read through Paul's letters, find the different times Paul says to trust your heart. When it comes to giving, trust your heart. When it comes to working, trust your heart. You can serve God from the heart. Why? Because your heart is not wicked and evil and deceitful. And We need to know that. Keep that in mind. As new creations in Christ, we have new hearts and we have God's desires, which means when I go to work, I want to worship God on the job. When I go to work, I want to do what God wants me to do. That's the desire of my heart. If I go to work and I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm, and I'm unforgiving and I don't get... I'm not happy. That's not who I am. That's not my identity in Christ. And so I'm not happy. And we won't be. That's the simple reality. So I can worship on the job. I can trust my heart and I can serve from my heart. Ephesians 2.10 again, I think. Uh, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's my desire to do good works. I want to do these good works. I want to do these things that naturally God has prepared beforehand that I should walk in them and I should do them. That's my natural desire. Now, what does it look like, though, to work and serve from the heart? So I was thinking about that, and here's how God showed it to me this week. I think this might make some sense for us. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Is your work more of a verb or more of a noun? Think about that. What would the difference be? Well, for instance, is your work more of a verb? Is your work demanding and exhausting and trying? Is work something you do? I have to go to work and it wears me out. My work is a verb. Well, that's the reality of work that is still under the curse. But think about this. Could it be, is your work more of a noun? Is your work rewarding, fulfilling, and satisfying? Is work something you are? I am, therefore I work. And there's these good works that are naturally a part, an extension of Christ in me that should just come out of me. My work is a noun, an extension of my identity in Christ that naturally flows out of who I am. And it's rewarding, and it's fulfilling, and it's satisfying. Do I go to work as a verb, or do I go to work as a noun? How do you define work? And I think that's cool. Now, work will always be a verb, I get it. Work will always be a struggle. We live in a broken body in a cursed world. The point is, what is the emphasis of your work? When you emphasize your work, do you see it as a verb that wears you out, or do you see it as a noun that fulfills you and satisfies you and builds you up. That's the question. Now, and this heart angle again, serving from the heart, is really important as we go through this entire message because what you're going to see, the things we talk about today, that's what I desire in my heart. 
Because Christ is my identity. Because Christ lives in here. I have these desires that he does. And when I don't do these things, I'm not happy. I, I don't feel right inside. And so that's really significant as well to understand. So point number one, we worship. Uh, we, we, while we serve on the job, we can serve from the heart and we worship God we worship Christ when we serve from the heart. Here's the second point this morning. As you work on the job, you can work for Christ. Okay? He says, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. So as you work on the job, you can work for Christ. And this is really great news. If you go to work and you have a boss that you can't stand or some, you know, somebody has a boss that just is, is really difficult to deal with, just realize your ultimate boss is not, that's not your ultimate boss. Your ultimate boss is Christ. He is the master. He is the one that you work for. <clears throat> I'm reminded there, he says, to work out where he says to obey your masters with fear and trembling. He says that in the text. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. It reminds me of what we're told in Philippians 2, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which doesn't mean I'm scared of God. It simply means I respect. I give God the respect he is due. And so there's a sense that I give my boss the respect that he is due. The point is, when you look at your boss on the job, you need to see beyond your boss. You need to see your real boss, the real master of your life, which is Christ. And here's the thing. If you take this attitude to work and you begin to see yourself as working for Christ and not just this earthly boss, I believe that you can change the temperature in the room and you can change the culture in the building where you work in amazing ways. So in verses 5 through 8 in this passage here, we see four ways that we can work for Christ. One, uh, A, we work for Christ when we serve through humility. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. There's that, that sense of respect. That sense of humbleness as I go to work and I work with a sincere heart, with a humble heart. You know, throughout the Gospels, Jesus displays great humility for us. I mean, just coming to earth shows incredible humility. Understand, again, this idea of humility, it's part of God's DNA. Just like work is a part of his DNA, humility is a part of our God's DNA. When Jesus came to work, he didn't just act humbly. Because his humility was not an act. It is who he is. And I think this is one of the, the most underwhelming things about God. That we just so underappreciate the fact that our God, Yahweh, is a humble God. He's a God of humility. And so the idea here, we talk about humility on the job. I'm not even talking about your, your humility towards God. I'm talking about your, your humility towards your coworkers, towards your boss. You want to change the temperature in the room. You want to change the culture in the building. Start showing humility to the people you work with and to the boss that you work for. Oh, a humility that comes out of your relationship with Christ. Now, he, here's the thing, and we're going to see this throughout the message, that we get these voices in our head, the flesh, right? The old man thinking comes along and says, oh, time out, you don't want to do that. You need to protect yourself and you need to defend yourself and, and yeah, I wouldn't be too humble. I, I wouldn't eat too much humble pie because, you know, you need to look out for yourself. So there is this pushback that we constantly face. The pushback here is your boss is not God. So, right? Well, I can understand humility in relationship to God, but my boss is not God. And I'm supposed to show him humility? How does that work? 
Well, the reality is it doesn't matter if, if, if my boss is God or not. I'm supposed to show him humility, even if he's unfair to me or takes advantage of me. That's the reality. I need to know that Christ is who I ultimately work for. Now, again, I don't think there's a more impactful attitude I don't think there's anything that can, can do more to change, again, the temperature in the room, the culture in the building, than being a person of humility. Think about this. Think about how, um, well, think about um, public leaders where this is evident, how humility stands out in public leaders. Think about humility, how it builds strong relationships when it's practiced. And think about how humility can soften the hardest heart towards God. I remind you, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's, he's being crucified there. And there's that Roman centurion that watches this all unfold. And listen to what that Roman centurion says. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Luke 23, 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly, this man was innocent. Another translation. He began to glorify God saying, this man really was righteous. And I, I just want you to understand that this humility of Christ hanging on the cross, his response was so full of humility and it broke down the centurion. He's like, man, this, this guy is not like anybody I've ever met before. I don't know anybody who would respond the way he responded. This has to be Someone who is supernatural, this has to be the Son of God. I don't even think he understood the whole gospel. He didn't understand why Jesus was on that cross, why he was dying. He didn't understand the thing of dying for sins and all that. He just looked at Jesus and said, this guy is who he said he was. This guy is remarkably different. And as I said before, I think we're underwhelmed by the humility of God because I think it's one of the most remarkable aspects of our God's DNA. And so just know that while Jesus, his humility left an impact on the cross, your humility can leave an impact where you work, a huge impact on those around you. So first thing, way we worship, uh, the way we worship at work, um, or the way we, that we work for Christ is through humility, serving through humility. Second one is we work for Christ when we work with integrity. One translation says, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Try to please your boss all the time, not just when he's watching you. And so you want to stand out on the job? Integrity will make you stand out on the job. It certainly will. Now, what is integrity? Give me, I'll give you three ways to look at integrity today. One is it's being a man of your word. It's just doing what you'll say you'll do. And you know, work is kind of like a contract. When you get hired at a company, it's kind of like you sign a contract with that company, right? So you go to the boss and say, you know what? I'll do this work for you if you'll give me this paycheck. And so you have a, kind of like a contract. Here's what's really fascinating. So you can take a guy like Harry, right? And Harry goes into work and let's say the company is struggling financially and, and uh, they're late paying him you know, one week. They can't pay him because they're struggling financially. And Harry just flips out. I mean, hey, come on. You're breaking the contract here. I worked. I deserve that paycheck, right? Well, here's what's so ironic is that this same guy, Harry, let's flip it around. Let's say Harry's at work and the company's doing fine, making all kinds of money. He's complaining because they make all this money, don't pay him enough. And, and, and Harry's at work and Harry just kind of, he has no problem just kind of sitting around and, and not working real hard and not giving 100%. He doesn't have any problem. He doesn't have any problem when he breaks the contract on his end. But if they break the contract, hey, wait a minute. I worked, I deserve 
this money. Uh, integrity is being a man of your word. It's just doing what you'll say you'll do. Going in, giving a good day's work for your check. But here, for the Christ follower, and I've done this, I've broken this down many times before, this, this, illust- this um, definition, but for the Christ follower, integrity goes deeper. Integrity is being a man of God's word. Integrity is kind of like it says, I'll go to work for you, and I won't make a contract with you. I'll let God set the terms of the contract with you. And so God says, you're going to go work for this person, and you're really working for me, so this is how you're going to work on the job. This is who you're going to be on the job. I will be respectful and humble and hardworking and honest and dependable and trustworthy. And I'll, I'll be the things that God wants me to be. I'll be a man of God's word, not just my own word. Takes it to a little deeper level. Makes it a little bit more difficult. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Pastor Tim Keller provides this illustration that I think is really helpful for us. A 27-year-old Howard was given an opportunity to move from one large company to another for a modest increase in responsibility, but greater future opportunity. At the point of salary negotiations, Howard was asked to share his current salary with his prospective employer. Howard pumped up the figure by a mere 4%, a few thousand dollars. Of course, his thinking was that the higher they thought his salary was currently, the more they'd offer him. He justified the lie because the prospective company offered two weeks less vacation a year than his current one. He just added the value of that benefit onto his salary figure. On the very slim chance that he'd get caught, he had a plausible excuse. The benefit outweighed the cost and risk. And by the way, he was pretty sure everyone did this sort of thing. So there was, was there anything wrong with it? So what about Howard? How could this small lie possibly have wider effects on society. As Howard tells the story now, he shares that a real breakthrough in his thinking happened when he realized that the desire for just a little more money would so easily cause him to forsake his integrity. Why couldn't he just have been honest and shared that he thought the two weeks vacation he'd be sacrificing was worth an additional few thousand dollars? Why couldn't he just trust that God who was providing the interview in the first place would provide for the salary? And was he basing his interest in the job on the salary or on the work God was giving him to do. He realized that the wider impact on society started with the recognition that with integrity sacrificed on the altar of money, the next lie would be easier. He realized that others who might observe him could be tempted to do the same. Everyone would trust one another a little less. And he realized that to work for the money instead of the value that the work itself might contribute would damage the culture of the company he was joining. You see, integrity like humility can change the temperature in the room, can change the culture in the building, can have an incredible impact. The simple fact is we worship when we work for Christ and we work for Christ when we are men and women of not only our word but his word as well. Now, here again, the voice in the back of our head, the flesh, the old man thinking comes whispering to us saying, oh wait, time out, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your boss is not always watching. So, I mean, come on. Don't, I mean, okay, let's be be people of integrity, but if no one's watching, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Well, of course, God says it does matter. Of course it matters. In fact, that's the, the, probably the deepest level of integrity. It's being a man of God's word when no one is looking. 
Being a man of God's word when no one is looking. Colossians 3.22 speaks to this very, very, very clearly. Listen to what it says. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. So the question is, do I work harder when the boss comes around than normally? That's the question. See, integrity goes beyond the borders of human eyesight. Now, What's the cliche response here, right? The cliche response is, okay, well, um, your boss isn't always watching. But, what's the cliche response? But, God's always watching, right? Okay, can I tell you? Let's just scrap that. That, that's, that's, the, the worst, that's the worst response to this issue of integrity. I don't serve with integrity because, well, my boss isn't, but God is. God's watching. God might zap me. Let me take it even deeper. Let me explain what integrity looks like being a man of God's word. So my integrity says, I will keep my word and I will keep God's word even when no one is watching. Not because he is watching, but because he is right here working. He's my identity. I'm working from Christ inside of me. I I, I don't have to be motivated to be a person of integrity because God's watching me and he might, no, he's the one in me doing the work through me. That's, that's how deep this issue of integrity goes. It's the Christ life. It's Christ working through me. It's yet not I, but Christ in me. The true depth of this point here is that the person who works for Christ, the person who represents Christ doesn't need anyone watching over them if they have Christ working in them. How cool is that? How cool is that? You want to worship on the job? You, you want to work for Christ? That's where it is. Okay, <clears throat> here's the amazing thing. If you work with integrity like I'm talking about here, you know what? Your boss, even when he doesn't see you, is going to see you. Even when he's not looking at you, he's going to see your integrity. It's just going to happen. It's just going to show through. And you're going to be one of those people that you are going to change the temperature in the room change the culture in the building. Go through the scriptures and find the people like Daniel and the people like Joseph who did just that with their life. They just just impacted the kingdoms around them. And remember, again, don't find your identity in your job. Work out of your identity on the job. So serve through humility, work with integrity, and then we work for Christ when we come to work enthusiastically, doing the will of God from the heart. It's just putting our heart into it. We come to work and we're excited to be there and we're enthusiastic to be there. A couple, couple uh, different translations, same verse. Look at this. Uh, oh, I don't have it on the handout. Let me, let me read them to you. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. That's the Holman translation. The Berean, the Berean Study Bible. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole being for the Lord and not for men. And our English Standard Translation, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ. Three different translations, all trying to capture the essence of this inner drive of the heart, of how I work with enthusiasm and passion. We don't come to work half-hearted, but fully invested The thing is, enthusiasm, like humility and integrity, can set you apart at work. Now, here's the pushback on this, okay? 
we don't always feel 100%. Well, I mean, some days I don't feel 100%. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we just didn't get enough sleep the night before. Maybe we're battling a cold. We just had a really bad fight with our spouse. Maybe our boss treated us unfairly and we just don't have our attitude up to, to, you know, giving 100%. We don't feel 100%. Well, here's the thing about coming to work enthusiastically. It's not something we measure on a day-to-day basis. It is something you measure over the course of just just your overall reputation. I get it. I get it. We are not, listen, we are not robots. We are not robots. We battle physical illness, relational issues, emotional burdens, mental stress. We live in a broken down, cursed world. I get it. So no, it's not like you have to go in there and be a robot and every day feel like a zillion percent. It's just our reputation is this is who we are. And we have the ability with Christ living inside of us to work from the heart even when our heart is broken, when it's heavy, and when it's hurting. And the thing about this too is that when you work from the heart and when you work for Christ, you have the ability to go above and beyond. You have the ability to go the extra mile. Even when no one is watching, you can go the extra mile. Kind of like Sheriff Deputy Montanez. Listen to this story. Fascinating story. Two sheriff's deputies thought they were responding to a routine call, but when they arrived, the situation required more than what they'd initially thought. The call mentioned a traffic hazard in the middle of the road in the form of a wheelchair. When the deputies arrived on the scene, they did indeed find a wheelchair and an elderly woman inside of it. The battery in her electric wheelchair was dead, leaving her without power to even finish crossing the road. They initially offered her a ride, but the wheelchair was too heavy to fit inside the patrol cruiser. And its battery pack meant that folding it up was a non-starter. The only thing left to do was to offer to push her chair the mile-long journey home, which is exactly what Deputy Montanez did, while his partner, Deputy Chapman, followed closely behind. In the dash cam footage of the event, Chapman is heard teasing his partner. Come on, pick it up. You're only going a mile an hour or something like that. The thing is we go the extra mile when we extend ourselves for others. When we work from the heart. You want to change the temperature in the room and the culture in the building? Go the extra mile even when no one is looking. Go the extra mile for your coworkers and for your boss when no one is even looking. Of course, here's the other pushback. Well, our boss does not always deserve 100%. I get that. But again... He's not really our boss. But here's what it says in verse 9. We'll be here in a minute. But verse 9 says this. Masters do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he was both their masters and yours is in heaven. So I get it. There are some masters that are unfair and unjust and some masters they don't deserve 100%. But ultimately we are not working for them. We are working for Christ. Here's, here's the thing. We have a heavenly master. We work for the Lord. Is this important? Let me show you how important this is. Five verses, five times. Look, look at what it says five times in five verses. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. Who am I working for? Verse six, but as bond servants of Christ do the will of what? God. Verse seven, rendering service with a good will as to who? The Lord not to man. Verse 8, he will receive back from what? From who? Who's going to pay him back? The Lord. 
He who is both their master and yours. He was both the master of the employee and the master of the boss. Paul, pretty clear who we're working for, right? Five times he makes the assertion that we have a heavenly boss. Your boss maybe doesn't deserve that level of effort, but God does, and you work for him as well as represent him. So, we work for Christ through humility, with integrity, coming enthusiastically, and lastly, when we focus on eternity. Come to work and focus on eternity. Whatever good anyone does, they will receive back from the Lord. Colossians 3.23, did I put it on here? Not sure if I did, I didn't. Uh, Whatever you do, work heartily is for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward, you are serving Christ. Paul is telling us the work we do has eternal implications. There's an eternal reward. I'm not even sure what that looks like. I've been kind of studying this out a little bit lately, trying to think, okay, what, are, what do our rewards look like? I think sometimes our idea of rewards, they tend to look more like the economy of this world than the economy of God's kingdom. You know, you know, what, you know what our reward simply could be? Just the joy of knowing we invested in eternity. Just the joy of being with Christ will be our reward. I mean, and that, that you know, and that, that might be, yeah, that might be it, and that might be enough in God's economy and God's kingdom. I don't know what our joy, I don't know what our reward looks like in heaven. I just simply know that when we invest in eternity and focus on eternity, the Bible says it will be worth it. It will be worth it. And we work for Christ when we focus on eternity, when we're working for eternity. Eternity. Now again, the flesh comes and whispers in our mind and speaks to us and entices us. And what does the flesh say? Well, our boss gives us a paycheck, right? So I get this physical paycheck that makes me think about material things and gets my focus off of the eternal things and the spiritual things that my eyes really need to be on. Our enthusiasm even gets tied to what? The spiritual things God's doing at work? No. My enthusiasm gets tied to, oh, I got this bonus. Oh, I got this raise. Oh, I got a bigger check. How quickly, how easily our mind gets on the wrong things. The reality is that if you focus on eternity, it will be much easier to work with humility and integrity and to work enthusiastically. It just simply will be. That's the reality. We need to get our eyes off of our paycheck and onto the kingdom of God and realize that we were created to do what? Good works. Even on the job, to just do good works that naturally flow out of who we are. Don't find your identity in your job. Work out of your identity on the job. Worship while you work. I'm not sure how often we think about, really, really, really think about this part of our identity that built into our identity is this, this, this idea of the eternal, of working for eternity. Let me just give it to you like this. First picture we have of God is what? We see God doing what? God is a worker. He is a creator. What kind of things does God create? Hmm? Everything. But you know what? The kind of things He creates? He created the heavens and the earth. You know what the heavens and the earth have in common? They are eternal. They will last forever. God created you and me, every person on this planet, and you know what every person has in common? They are eternal. They will exist in eternity, either with or without Christ. But He creates eternal things. His purpose is eternal. His Word is what? His Word is eternal. God makes things that are eternal. 
And we have his DNA in us, meaning that we are to do things and create things and do work that what? Is eternal, that has eternal value and meaning, not just short-term, in-the-moment, material, physical meaning. I think that's pretty fascinating. If you want to worship while you work for Christ, if you want to work for Christ, work for eternity. Just keep that in mind. Okay. And then, um, so this is our second point, right? We, we can worship God at work when we serve from our heart, right? We serve on the job when we serve from the heart. And then we can worship while we work when we work for Christ. We work on the job. We work for Christ. And then here is the, the third element of this message. We're going to take verse 9 and just in like one or two minutes here, flip this around and look at the boss for just a minute. Verse 9, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. There's no partiality. What does that mean there's no partiality? You know what that means? God doesn't care who's the boss and who's the employee. He doesn't care how long you've been at your job and how long you haven't been at your job. God doesn't care. We all work for him. There's no partiality, no difference. The New Living Translation says, Masters, treat your slaves the same way. So how do you as the boss, how do you worship on the job? I'll give you two simple things here. Number one, as you lead your employees, you can be led by Christ. Okay, well, that's the, the main point. As you lead your employees, you can be led by Christ. So this is the third point. We serve from the heart. We work for Christ, and then we are led by Christ as the boss. As you lead your employees, you can be led by Christ. How am I led by Christ, though? That's the question. How am I led by Christ? Two, two things here. Realize the ultimate fact that you and your employees have the same boss. You both work for the same guy. You, you work for the Lord, God, the Creator. You work for Christ. He is your boss. Knowing that He, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and again, he doesn't differentiate between who is boss and who is employee. You should, as the boss, never feel superior to any employee. You just shouldn't. And then, number two, treat them the same way they are to treat you. That's what he says right in the text. Masters, treat your employees as they are to treat you. So, how do you, as the boss, worship God on the job? You do the same things that your employee is supposed to do. You serve your employees through humility. Yes, you can serve, your, as a boss, you can serve your employees through humility. Jesus, he served, right? Jesus came from heaven to serve. He served the disciples and washed their feet. He deserved you and me. He, he served you and me when he hung on the cross. So serve your employees through humility. Lead your employees with integrity. Just be a man of your word and a man of God's word, even when your employer employees don't know it lead with integrity um, and then celebrate your employees enthusiastically cheer them on build them up tell them how awesome they are notice the things that they do celebrate your employees enthusiastically believe in them seriously and then keep your focus on eternity and uh, you know if you do these things as the boss you can worship God on the job and you will have a great relationship with your employees which always makes for a more successful company just fascinating when you look at these things that you apply this stuff to any company any corporation and you just drastically make that company more successful in, in a heartbeat 
You can, just, just like that, you can change the temperature in the room. You can change the culture in the building. And it's that simple. So what did we learn today? What did we learn today? Uh, let's look at it real briefly. We talked, there's two philosophies. The world's philosophy, I work, therefore I am. My work defines me. God says, no, it's the exact opposite. I am, therefore I work. Work is in my DNA. I'm created to do good works that will naturally flow out of who I am. And so, we learn not to find our identity in our job, but to work out of our identity on the job, to worship while we work. And then we learn there's three ways. As you serve on the job, you can serve from the heart. As you work on the job, you can work for Christ. And then, of course, as you, uh, these are the, f- the four ways we can do that. Serving through humility, working with integrity, coming to work enthusiastically, and focusing on eternity. You can worship God on the job. You can work for your heavenly master, Christ. And then finally, as you lead your employees, you can be led by Christ. It can be a two-way street. It goes both ways. And um, you can exalt God in the workplace in a phenomenal phenomenal way father god thank you oh thank you that you are a god of redemption and we don't often think about how you redeem this aspect of work and um for those of us who have worked and and we no longer work we're in those years of retirement thank you lord for the gift of work over the years and um lord for those of us now still engaged in work may we just worship you on the job May, may we may we as we look at the things in this message today, do our part to change the temperature in the room and the culture in the building just because we um, are, are working for you and, 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 and we're, we're inter- intersecting with each other uh, through you. Um, so thank you for your words today. Thank you for the practicality of your word, how it changes our lives. And again, thank you for bringing meaning and fulfillment, purpose and joy to the work you call us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.